You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore data. So we do have PFF grades, but I, I want to spend at least a good amount of time, maybe the first part, portion before we take a break. I don't know. We'll see how it goes. Kind of getting, I guess, closure on that, that game. You know, the game. The The game. That uh, that happened one of these other days, and I know that sounds a little ridiculous, but but I think maybe restoring a little bit of sanity to it makes a little bit more sense. Because at the at the end of the day, it is it's time to move on. It is what it is. What happened happened, and really all it is is information. We learned a little bit more about this team. That's it, right? We have more information now. Some people are a little bit too doom and gloom. You know, I talk about the, the, the positive people and the negative people and whatnot. The extreme negative people, the pessimists, are incorrect totally in their assumption that they can conclude what's going to happen by the end of the season because of what happened in this game. Now, the, the biggest problem and, and the reason why it's not even worth necessarily elaborating too much on that and trying to negotiate too much on that is the fact that, and I think you pessimists need to acknowledge this as much as it might make you angry, but I mean, that's basically your only emotion anyways. You're acting and talking and rationalizing purely out of emotion because you have to realize nothing you're saying makes any sense. This team can't win a Super Bowl. Yes, they can. They you You have to know that they can. What we did learn was more information. And, and the fact of the matter is that football isn't, I mean, if the, the game itself is emotional. But when we sit back and we analyze, right, there, that's the, you look at the fanalist title that I give myself. There's the fan portion, which is very heavily emotional. But the analyst portion is no emotion. Zero. And so I, I, I guess yesterday was the fan portion. Today is the analyst portion. And it's going to be just purely cold, emotionless calculations. And so when we go out and we look and you see that the Packers fall in the power rankings, that's we, we can have an emotional reaction to that. And maybe some of the people out there in, the, in the, the sports media realm are acting irrationally or emotionally when they move the, the Packers up or down or whatever. But the fact of the matter is there is a calculation to be made that does require the Packers be dropped a little bit based on new information. If you look at the Vegas odds for the Packers to win, they go down a little bit for several reasons. Number one, their record is worse. But number two, you look at the new information we have about the Packers, which is different than the information we had prior in the first four games. So the calculation has changed. The odds have shifted a bit. But we try to put everything in a box. Everybody does that. I do that. And it's funny, and the reason I know that we, we do that is because I sought out the same information that a lot of people sought out that asked me to s- seek out. And the question was this, has a team that has ever been blown out that bad ever won a Super Bowl? Why? Because we want to put them in a box. It's impossible to win a Super Bowl when you're that bad. That's where our brain as an emotional fan goes. The fact of the matter is, though, that's a ridiculous sentiment. It's a ridiculous thing to even question. Now, it's not entirely ridiculous to seek it out because, again, we're talking probabilities. If the point is we want to seek out probabilities, what are, what are our chances? What are our odds? Because, obviously, your odds plummet. When you get beat that bad, you get put into a category, and that category of teams generally doesn't win as many Super Bowls as teams that, let's say, oh, I don't know, don't win by a, or don't lose by a huge margin very often. Generally, teams that get blown out tend to be bad teams. Not always, but sometimes. But the fact of the matter is, even if it's never happened in history, that still doesn't mean the Packers can't be the first. Here's the reality. 
Every single team, as much as we want to compare and contrast to other teams, and I've got a comparable for the Packers, as much as we want to compare and contrast teams, every team is unique. Every single team. And what we need to do is, rather than try to put them in a box and say, you're stuck there, you can never get out, we need to just look at them honestly as who they are. We need to get a grasp on what is this quarterback, what is this coach, what is this locker room, what kind of a running back group do we have, what kind of a system. All this stuff is just questions. And some of it we can't necessarily answer, right? We, we had an answer prior to this week. We have a new answer after this week. We're going to have a new answer after that. And by the end of it, we're not going to be able to put the final picture on this until the season is completely over. I'll give you another illustration. Every year I do this, when we get to the playoffs, I look at all the playoff teams and I find comparables based on kind of, and it's again, it's kind of a, a, a lame little box to put you in, but it's hard to to. to come up with all the variables because there's too many variables but I'll look at points for and points against for example for each team and say okay this team is number something in you know number one on offense and number seven on defense in in points number four on offense etc etc in yards and then I might go over to PFF and look at the quarterbacks just to try to get each metric and then I look at Super Bowl winners And I look at the characteristics of Super Bowl winners, and I say, well, generally they have this kind of an offense, this kind of a defense, this kind of a quarterback. And so, for example, if you look at it, and there's always outliers, there's always examples of weird things. So, for example, the Buffalo Bills last year, I think they were like the, I don't know, top five defense. I can look it up, but let's just keep rolling here. Let's just call them a top five defense, but their offense was bottom 10, possibly bottom five. It was really, really bad. And so the question is, has a team ever won that's this bad? And the answer was yes. I think I found like one. One that was a really, really bad offense, but still won because of a good defense. So the point is, you look at the Buffalo Bills and you say, I don't think they're going to win. Not that they can't win. And again, even if I couldn't find anybody, that doesn't mean there's zero chance. They're in the playoffs. Of course they can win. They won to get here. They can continue winning as they go along. But from an odds standpoint, you look at it and say their odds are lower based on what we've learned historically. Teams that are built the way that this team is built generally don't win Super Bowls. So if you want to look at the Packers and say, based on new information, it's harder for me to believe that this is a Super Bowl caliber team. That's a rational argument to make because it's realistic. Very, very good football teams don't generally lose like that. Yes, teams lose, right? That's the whole big thing with all the optimists out there. Their favorite thing to say all day yesterday was, you know, everybody loses. It's just a loss. You got to, right. But as I've been saying, the pessimists are correct in this. It's not that you lost, it's how you lost. Let me give you an example of something that I found staggering. I wanted to look up really good teams. So I looked up really good teams and I said, okay, how badly have these teams really ever been beaten? I mean, maybe not ever, but in insofar as they've been a good team. So I looked at the Kansas City Chiefs in the Pat Mahomes era. You know what I found? It was at, If you follow me on Twitter, you already know what I found. Absolutely 1,000% staggering. You know what the biggest loss the Chiefs have had since Pat Mahomes took over in 2018 was? The biggest beating, the biggest blowout that has happened to the Kansas City Chiefs? I should check the score for yesterday just to make sure. I'm pretty sure that I actually I do know the Chiefs won. It was two weeks ago when they lost to the Raiders by eight points. Eight points. That's the biggest beating the Chiefs have taken since Pat Mahomes has been the quarterback. Likewise, the Packers aren't really generally in very good company with teams that get beat up. Now, there was the Buffalo Bills beating, right? Because, again, the question is, do good teams ever get beat like this? Well, are the Buffalo Bills a good team? They didn't get beat quite as bad, but they lost to the Tennessee Titans 42-16. to The San Francisco 49ers, have we written them off? Because they got beat 43-17 to Miami. Now, if they're complete trash, then fine. We're in really bad company because the other teams that got beat, Cleveland twice, the Jets, the Giants, the Bengals, the Jets again, Detroit, the Jets again, Washington, Denver, Jacksonville, Jacksonville, the Jets again, Philly, Houston, Minnesota, Minnesota, Jacksonville. I mean, you got to get to 26 before you get to the Patriots. I mean, and at this point, we're at a 16-point deficit. So that was the fourth biggest beating um, this year was the Green Bay Packers getting beat to Tampa. So again, it's it's all just information. It's all just the fact that it we can't just look at it and say it's just a loss because it's clearly not just a loss. 
Um, I mean, if you look at some other teams that are that are really good teams, uh, Baltimore, since same time span, 2018, and I don't even know that they were all that good in 2018, the biggest beating they took was 15 points. The Patriots did get a beating once of 24 points since 2018, once, and it wasn't quite as bad. The Saints' biggest beating in the last two and a half years was 19 points. That was in t- 2018 against the Carolina Panthers. In that same spectrum, the Packers lost... Uh, by 31 points to the Detroit Lions in 2018, 29 points to the 49ers in 2019, 28 points to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in 2020. So they've had three absolute head smashed in sessions over the last three years, once a year. So no, it's not true that every team has to just get annihilated. It's not true that it happens to everybody. Yeah, I'm sure if you go over the entirety of their, of their team's history, but you don't have to in a year get beaten that badly. So again, it, it's we don't have to put them in a definitive box that says you can't get out, you're never going to win, you're a terrible team. No, no, no. This team just has an identity, right? It just is something. So it's clearly not a team that is going to keep all the games close. I mean, to be honest, that that is somewhat of an identity that the Packers have had for some time. Obviously, over the last three years, they've gotten beaten pretty badly at least once. But generally, most of the games are kind of down to the wire. The games this year haven't really been that way. Either we're going to smash your head in or you're going to smash our head in, for the most part. That's just an identity. It's maybe not the identity we want, but it is what it is. And, and, and all we can do is, to sound really lame and cliche, is accept them for who they are. And I know that doesn't mean you have to like it, but it also doesn't mean you have to write them off. This is your team. They have a lot of talent. They also have a lot of weaknesses. And they have a chance to win the division. They have a chance very good chance to get into the playoffs, and they still have a chance to win a Super Bowl. So rather than sit back here and and stomp our feet and pout and cry and say they're never going to win, they're going to win, just acknowledge this is what they are, this is what we need to see from them. You also have to come to terms with the fact that this is not going to be the last time that this happens. For whatever reason, the DNA of this team is to completely fall on their face at least once a year. It's just a thing. Hopefully, though, Again, it's just once this year, because it happened once in 2018, once in 2019. Hopefully this is the one for 2020. And if you're thinking, what about the Chargers game? That was 15 points. That's not, that's not that bad. 28, 29, and 31, that's really bad. And that 31 game should be expunged from the record anyways. That was, I don't know. It's, it's fine. I don't know. It just, oh, oh, 31 to nothing. What a just absolute... A horrible thing. So that's kind of where I'm coming from. So now the next question. Okay, so so this is the DNA of the team, and you keep saying they're going to win, or, or they can win. Prove it. How can they win? When has a team like this ever won, won a Super Bowl? I'm glad you asked. Teams that have gone to the Super Bowl that have had really bad games at some point in the season. Let's say that have lost by 28 points or more. There are 13 teams. Now, granted, again, that's not a lot. So this is why Clearly, your odds are reduced by a lot when, when you hit one of these markers, but there are 13 times in history, and granted, there haven't even been that many Super Bowls, so it's, you know, however many Super Bowls times two, because two teams are in the Super Bowl uh, since, you know, 1940 or whenever this thing starts. But you have the 1979 Pittsburgh Steelers, who did win the Super Bowl. This was a 12-4 and team under Chuck Knoll. Very, very good. 12-4. and They almost were, they were basically undefeated. But they had a couple games where their offense didn't show up. I mean, this was a dominant offense. They were the number one offense in points and yards. But the games in which they lost, they scored 14, 10, 7, and 17. They won games, like against the Browns, 51 to 35. Does that kind of sound familiar? 38 to 7. Actually, that happened twice, 38 to 7. 30 to 3, 33 to 30, 37, 17, 34, 14. Dominant offense. But again, occasionally, the offense just didn't show up. They lost to the Eagles, 14, 17. Uh, the, the Oilers, 17-20, to the Bengals, 10-34, to and then the real humdinger, they lost to the San Diego Chargers, 7-35. to So they got beat up really badly, not just once, but twice with four total losses. Is it impossible that something like this happened? No, it's not. Of course it's not. It's very possible. And we, listen, if, if we, I don't, I don't even need to show you this. You know it's possible. If you want to say it's unlikely, fine. Not impossible. There's the 2004 Philadelphia Eagles, who did lose to the Patriots in the Super Bowl. But this was a 13-3 and team that went to the Super Bowl. Very, very good football team. 
But when they lost, they lost in spectacular fashion. Their losses, the only loss that they kept kind of close was New England 21-24. Their other losses were 3-27, 7-20, and 10-38. That's a 28-point loss. Same as what the Packers had. So again, extremely talented team. Absolutely knocked the brakes off of teams like Detroit 30-13, Carolina 30-8, Dallas Cowboys 49-21, Washington 28-6, the Packers 47-17, they beat us. Andy Reid's Eagles were dominant, 13-3, but also occasionally didn't show up, got absolutely obliterated and embarrassed, and then went to the Super Bowl. And yes, they lost, but it was by three, it was very close. They're a Super Bowl caliber team. That was either dominant or terrible. Those are the only two things. Again, it's just the identity of the 2004 Eagles. It's a weird thing. I don't know how or why it happens, but it happened. Not every team is built to be a certain way. Not everybody's the Chiefs. Not everybody's the Ravens. In fact, nobody is the Chiefs. Nobody is the Ravens. Nobody is the 2004 Eagles except the 2004 Eagles. And nobody is the 2020 Packers except the 2020 Packers. And the point is, don't sit around and mope mope and cry about, well, we're never going to get the Super Bowl and we're not this team that I thought. I thought we were going to be undefeated and perfect and all this stuff. That's not it, man. And I, yeah, I, I wish that, uh, that we weren't one of these teams that gets blown out like the 2004 Eagles, but we are. How about the 2008 Arizona Cardinals, which is one of the teams that I had actually considered as being the actual comp that I wanted for the Packers. I think the biggest reason that I didn't is the fact that they were 9-7 and seven this season. But they had the number 3 overall offense, number 28 overall defense. I could see the Packers being somewhere in that realm. But 9-7, and seven, I'm not so sure. Maybe, I don't know. But to guess what? At 9-7, and seven, they went to the Super Bowl. They lost 23-27 to the Steelers, still went to the Super Bowl. They beat the Falcons 30-24, to they beat the Panthers 33-13, to and they beat the Eagles 32-25 to to get to the Super Bowl. But obviously, extremely volatile team. They lost to the Jets 35-56. to They lost to the Patriots 7-47. to There's your real bad one. But there were a lot of other bad ones, 20-48, to 14-35. When they lost, it was in spectacular fashion, but they found a way to get to the Super Bowl. In 2012, it's interesting because not only did you have the 49ers who lost in the Super Bowl, but the winner of the Super Bowl, the Baltimore Ravens, both teams in 2012 got annihilated in the season. The 49ers were 11th on offense, 2nd on defense. They were 11-4 and under Jim Harbaugh. Very good football team, mostly defense, so it's different than the Packers, but still volatile. I think they did a little bit of a better job keeping games close. But, I mean, they, I mean you, here, here's the definition of volatile. And, again, extremely good defense and, on occasion, very good offense. They beat the Jets 34-0, to the Bills 45-13, to the Bears 32-7, to but they lost to the Giants 3-26. to They lost to Seattle 13-42. to So there were, I mean, there were some closer games, but, man, they really, really, really annihilated some teams, but they also got really, really, really annihilated by other teams. In fact, oh, no, it wasn't. I was going to say it was by the same team, but it wasn't the Giants. It was the Jets. Basically the same team, both both stupid teams. But this is the team that that knocked the the Packers out of the playoffs 45-31. to Not exactly the biggest point differential, but that's just, that's, again, there's the volatility. The defense on that day didn't do all that great. 31 points is a lot. That's the third most they gave up all year. But the offense showed up in a big way against our terrible defense. The whole thing is, is it's a whole thing. Don't worry about it. But again, very volatile. On the opposite side, you have the actual Super Bowl winners, the Baltimore Ravens in 2012 under John Harbaugh. This was a not super spectacular team in any capacity. They were 10th on offense, 12th on defense, and a 10-6 and football team. Nothing special about this team at all. They lost their first game in week two. By week seven, they were five and two, and they lost to the Texans 43 to 13. They won a bunch of other games, and then they went on an absolute losing streak. Lost to the Steelers 20 to 23. They lost to Washington 28 31. They lost to Denver 13 to 34. Then they annihilated the Giants 33 to 14. Then they lost to the Bengals 17 to 23. Nothing about this team felt like a team that was about to go on to win the Super Bowl. This is how they entered the playoffs with a loss to the Bengals 17 to 23. They play the Colts, annihilate them 24 to 9, eke out an overtime victory against the Broncos, annihilate the Patriots 28 13, and then barely beat the 49ers 34 31. Now everything going into this says Baltimore's not going to win. Their record wasn't that good. They weren't overly dominant on defense, which is a hallmark of Super Bowl champions. And, and if you're not dominant on defense, generally you want a guy that is really good, or, or excuse me, you want uh, a really good offense and or a really good quarterback. 
the Baltimore Ravens have none of that. Joe Flacco is not spectacular. The record is not spectacular. The offense is average. The defense is average. The record was not great. There's nothing here that points to this team as being a Super Bowl champion. Nothing. They got annihilated, which is something that generally doesn't happen to really good teams that go on to win Super Bowls. But guess what? They overcame every single thing. And I'm sure if you looked at the Baltimore Ravens and you tried to find any metric to to say, well, this team was this average and mediocre and still won a Super Bowl, you'd say that never happened. But guess what? It happened in 2012. They broke through that barrier. They broke through the barrier of it's never happened before. Because never happened before doesn't mean never going to happen. Those are two different statements. As straightforward as that sounds, I feel like some people need to be reminded of that. But getting blown out is not one of the things that has never happened before. In fact, we're not even close to halfway through this list. Well, we are probably pretty close, but the point is it's happened several times. There was the 87 Denver Broncos under Dan Reeves, 10-4-1 football team. Never at any point was this a good football team. They started the season 1-1-1. They beat the Seahawks 40 to 17. They tied the Packers 17 to 7. Then they 17 to 17. Then they lost to the Oilers 10 to 40. You want to talk about volatile? Oh my goodness! But again, they get into the playoffs. They annihilate the Oilers, who annihilated them earlier in the season. They beat the Cleveland Browns 38 to 30, and then they lose to Washington 10 to 42, in spectacular fashion. They win out the way that they came in the whole year. They went to the playoffs. The same way they started the season. Annihilate one team, basically tie another team, get annihilated by another team. It's just, it's a weird identity. It's a weird kind of a thing. Offensive coordinator, by the way, Mike Shanahan. This thing goes back a long way, man. I mean, the, the 1976 Oakland Raiders lost 17-48 to to the New England Patriots. Um, in 2003, the New England Patriots, who did win the Super Bowl, lost to Buffalo 31-0. That's what happened to the Packers against Detroit, 31 nothing. Imagine losing... To a division rival, the Buffalo Bills, 31 to nothing. By the way, that happened week one. Week one. And this is this is 2003, so this is, I mean, the Patriots are kind of new to this being dominant thing. I think it started in 2000. So, I mean, it, you, you kind of have established yourself. But you start the season losing to a division rival, 13 to one. Guess what, how this season ended? I mean, you know they won a Super Bowl. They went 14 and two and won the Super Bowl. They started the season 2-2. Two and two. Their second loss came week 4 to Washington. They didn't lose one other game the rest of the season. That's incredible. So this is a not-volatile team, which is really surprising that you can go 31 to nothing in week 1 and be an extremely consistent and dominant team. But that's what they were. Again, another really weird identity. How does that happen? I don't know. You weren't ready week 1. Uh, the quarterback, I don't know, he had horrible sickness week one. I don't know. I was trying to get creative and everything I thought of was really weird and unnecessary to say. Again, every team has an identity. It just is what it is. It gets worse. San Francisco 49ers in 1994, they were 13-3 and and won the Super Bowl. But in week five against the Philadelphia Eagles, they lost 40-8 to in week five. I mean, this, this is a pretty similar start outside of the fact that we only have one loss. They had two losses at this point, but they beat the Raiders 44-14. to They beat the Rams 34-19. to They beat the Saints 24-13, to and then they lose 8-40. to And I bet there were 49ers fans going, this is the worst team in history. We're never going to win a Super Bowl. I bet there were. Guess what happened after that? They beat the Lions, the Falcons, the Bucks, the Washington team, the Dallas Cowboys, the Rams, the Saints, the Falcons, the Chargers, the Broncos. They lost to the Vikings. And then they went to the playoffs. They beat the Bears 44-15. to They beat the Cowboys 38-28. And then they beat the Chargers 49-26 to in the Super Bowl. About as big of a dominant beating as you can get. Led by first-team All-Pro quarterback Steve Young, who people probably said should be benched after that uh, 8-40 to loss to the Philadelphia Eagles. I bet there were. You want to bet? You want to bet there were people saying this is a trash team that's never going to win a Super Bowl and we should bench our quarterback? I bet there were a couple. If there was Twitter, you'd be able to find them pretty easily. 1988 Bengals lost in the Super Bowl to the 49ers, but they were a 12-4 and team. They went 6-0 and to start the season, but boy, oh boy, they had a humdinger against the Oilers. 6-41. to That's a 35-point deficit. They went to the Super Bowl. Then you have Dallas in 1970, which is remarkable because they're on this list twice. 
Tom Landry's Dallas Cowboys were 10-4, and went to the Super Bowl. Two of their losses were absolute blowouts. They lost to the Minnesota Vikings 13-54, to and they lost to the St. Louis Cardinals 38-0. to They are number one and number three on this list. By the way, Arizona Cardinals, who I already mentioned, are also on this list twice. They got their 20-48 to loss to Philly. They also have their uh, uh, 47-7 loss, which I probably already mentioned. That's number two on this list. And so, again, it, it, it doesn't make sense to put a team in a box. The team is what it is. Can it win? Yes. It has to win a different way than the Chiefs win. It has to win a different way than the Baltimore Ravens win. It has to win a different way than the New England Patriots win. And so, because we like to put things in nice, neat little boxes, because it helps us mentally, the one team that I kind of identified with, that I feel like is somewhat similar to what the Packers are today, that kind of gives us a vision of what we can be. And again, I mentioned it on Twitter, so you might already know where I'm headed. But the one that kind of spoke to me a bit was the 2006 Tony Dungy Indianapolis Colts. They were 12-4 and on the season. They started off um, at 9-0. and They had the number two overall offense in terms of points, number three in yards. Their defense was 23rd in points, 21st in yards. Clearly a dominant offense and a pretty pathetic defense. And so occasionally, they would lose and lose in spectacular fashion. And that's what happened once. And in fact, it got pretty ugly. Again, they started off 9-0. and They were 12-4 and by the time they went into the playoffs, meaning they went 3-4 and down the stretch. Things got pretty ugly, and in one of those cases, they lost 17-44 to to the Jacksonville Jaguars. So picture this. Really, put on your pessimist cap. You start the season 9-0. and you, As you enter the playoffs, everybody's calling you a fraud, saying you're never going to win. Why? Because you just went 3-4 and and lost to the Jaguars 17-44. to The Jacksonville Jaguars under Jack Del Rio were an 8-8 eight eight team that year. You don't lose to an 8-8 eight eight team. 17 to 44 as you go on a 3 and 4 game stretch and expect to go into the playoffs and win anything except they did this subpar kind of garbage defense beat the Kansas City Chiefs 23 to 8 they beat the Ravens 15 to 6 the defense kind of woke up the next week against the New England Patriots the defense did what the defense does and it was terrible it gave up 34 points but the offense showed up that number 2 overall elite offense they won 38 to 34 again this is volatile Offense is terrible for two weeks, and then the offense really shows up. And then against the Chicago Bears, which is another reason why I love this example of the 2006 Colts, they beat the Bears 29-17. This is not a traditional way to win a Super Bowl, but guess what? They found a way. They have a really good offense, a pretty bad defense. They started the season hot. They ended the season cold. They won big. They lost big. And at the end of the day, it was just a matter of get into the playoffs and find a way. And they did. So don't put them in a box. It's okay to understand them. It's okay to say that this isn't going to be the most dominant Packers team we've ever seen. We're going to have to stop saying that. And that stinks because it was fun for four weeks. Oh, well. And it's fine to compare teams if you want to compare teams. But at the end of the day, we have to come at it from the understanding that this is a different, unique team that has never existed in the history of the universe. The 2020 Packers are their own identity. They are their own entity. And you got to just choose to embrace them for what they are. And yes, it's fair to say that they have a slightly less chance of winning the Super Bowl now than they did. Well, of course, duh. We're, we're a game down and we got beat up by a team. And, and that doesn't generally happen to dominant teams, although it does sometimes, right? I mean, the Patriots are a great example. What was it 2003 Patriots, 31 to nothing, went on to be 14 and 2 and win a Super Bowl? That's a dominant team that got blown out. It's rare, but it happens. Sometimes you're the Chiefs and you never get blown out. Sometimes you're the Packers and you're dominant despite the fact that sometimes you just kind of play like garbage. And maybe people call you frauds. That's fine. They can call you frauds. They can call us frauds. All we got to do is keep winning and hope that this time, unlike last time, there isn't that ticking time bomb that goes off in the NFC Championship game. And maybe it'll happen. Maybe it won't. I don't know. But I think we just have to embrace the fact that when we lose, sometimes it'll be spectacularly. But a loss is a loss and a win is a win. It's funny that I'm kind of coming full back full circle to that, but that's kind of the reality. That's kind of the conclusion you come to. Because if it's really just an identity thing, at the end of the day, losing by 50 points or by 5 points doesn't change the record sheet. And if we can assume that a spectacular loss doesn't mean we're about to go on a 5-game losing streak because the wheels fell off, if that's what it meant, then fine, then this, this means more. 
But if we don't think that's what this meant, and we see it as a blip and, and as one of these weird things that happens, and maybe it's because guys aren't focused, maybe it's because they, they didn't care, I don't know, and hopefully that gets fixed. But if we can look at this and say there's no real reason to believe they're not going to get back on the horse and annihilate the Texans, then it's just a loss. Yeah, but they might get blown out in the playoffs. No, no, no. They might lose in the playoffs, and if they lose, it'll be a blowout. But any team might lose in the playoffs. The question is, can they win? Losing is the default. Every team loses. Every team except one loses before they win a Super Bowl. The 31 teams lose, either before they get into the playoffs or in the playoffs. How they lose doesn't really matter, other than it makes us feel a lot worse. The question is, can they win? Can they beat the 49ers or Tampa or whatever? Can they beat the Chiefs? Can they, On their best day, can they beat the Baltimore Ravens? If we can answer yes to that question, then they can win a Super Bowl. So that's kind of where I'm at right now. As painful as it is to look at this, and there's a great Coach Hahn video. He sent it to me yesterday with an accompanying article because he's an absolute madman. Um, I'm extremely excited to get it up to you. It's it's not pretty. It's not super fun to look at, but it is a great breakdown. But it, it, it really just identifies some issues and some things that I, I tend to think have to be very cor- correctable. Things that you look at that Matt LaFleur can look at and say, I don't know why we did this, but can we please not do this again? Because again, at the end of the day, we know what this team is on its best day. We know that. Anyways, we got to take a break. We'll come back on the other side and kind of skim through PFF a little bit, see uh, who did good, who did terribly. I'm sure people know who had the highest grade already because that's all over Twitter, but um, I believe there were four people in the Flick chat that uh, said the right name. So since we're doing two giveaways, uh, we'll end up putting the names into a random drawer, and we'll draw names. And then I'll have four hoodies to send out because I still haven't sent out <laughs> last week's hoodies. Again, sorry. It's I promise you're going to get it, but, you know, I'm slow. Actually, I might have five. See, I, this is why I got it. The biggest reason I got to get it out is because I'm going to start forgetting. And I'm really starting to get scared of that. Anyways, let's take a break and we'll be right back. So, unfortunately, today is a I need to wash this Iron Jock hoodie day. So, I'm just wearing my little red deal here. But I want to once again remind you about a fantastic company by the name of Iron Jock. That's I-R-O-N-J-O-C. You can check them out at ironjock.com. They are a Wisconsin-based company. They've just launched their e-commerce platform of athletic wear. They've got polo shirts, vests, workout shirts, sweatshirts, shorts, socks, and underwear. There's a lot of tongue twisters in here. Running jackets, hoodies, and pants. Not only is this high-quality material, but it's highly technological as well. They use a thing that is a proprietary fabric that they call Enduratech. This fabric is wicking and fast-drying. It's breathable, it's anti-static, and it is odor-eliminating. Well, how does it eliminate odor? That sounds weird. Allow me to explain to the, to the best of my uh, ability, which is not much. They actually infuse the fibers with silver ion, which get activated when they're wet, i.e. when you sweat. When you sweat... The the sweat is pulled from your body into the shirt, activating the silver ion, which kills the bacteria and the fungus, which prevents stinkage. If you get their long pants, shorts, hoodies, or running jacket, they have Enduratech Plus fabric, which is also water repellent. This is fantastic clothing. I would encourage you to check them out at ironjock.com, I-R-O-N-J-O-C.com. Follow them on Facebook and on Twitter at Ironjock. Between the NFL, college ball, and MLB playoffs, there's no shortage of games to watch with thousands of lines available and all your favorite sports and events. You can turn your game day into payday with MyBookie, which, by the way, I had somebody reach out yesterday and tell me they also won $100 from MyBookie when we did our MyBookie giveaway, so I was extremely excited to hear that. There was, I think, three or four people. There was a $500 giveaway, which I don't know if anybody from my audience won. If they did, they didn't reach out, but apparently they decided to do a bunch of $100 bonus giveaways. And there were at least three people in this audience, because it was a network-wide thing, that won 100 bucks. So I was extremely excited to hear that. But my book, he's got all the betting that you could possibly want. If, if, if you like to back the big favorites, you can put down a parlay for a bigger payout. Not only do parlays make bigger games exciting, but more importantly, they give you a chance to turn ordinary bets into real moneymakers. In other words, put down a little, get back a lot. But don't forget the underdogs, because that's where the real value is in your single bets. And the great thing about the NFL is that underdogs never really underdogs. I learned that in uh, my survivor pool because pretty much nobody makes it past week six. (laughs) Game spreads, championship futures, player prop bets. It's never too late to get in on the action and start turning your sports knowledge into actual cash into your wallet. Sign up at MyBookie, and when you do, use promo code OVERTIME to claim a deposit 
uh, deposit match dollar for dollar all the way up to a thousand bucks. So it's the same offer. My bookie is back. Exact same offer. You put down a thousand bucks, they're going to give you a thousand dollars to play with. That's promo code overtime to get that match. Sign up today to begin your winning season exclusively at my bookie. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. All right, so unfortunately, uh, we'll, we'll get into what you all came here for, and that is the PFF grades. I don't think we're going to be able to say that anybody is the top of anything anymore. Uh, with that horrific uh, performance from Aaron Rodgers, he is uh, clearly not going to be the top quarterback in football. Um, as I said on Twitter, if I could summarize this game, it's not that everybody played terribly. It's that the guys that you really need to show up uh, didn't. Aaron Rodgers was the third lowest graded player on this entire offense, just ahead of Jay Sternberger and Equinemius St. Brown. He had a 44.7 overall grade. If you want to know PFF's perspective on this, it's not that the offensive line failed Rodgers, it's that Rodgers failed the team. Although, the offensive line also failed. (laughs) So, listen, there were some really good grades given out, um, but there were some really terrible ones as well. Uh, David Bakhtiari and Corey Lindsley did a great job pass blocking. Rick Wagner, as bad as he looked, he did give up that one sack, which was ugly, but that was his only pressure on the day. Uh, Lucas Patrick did fine. He gave up one hurry. But some of these guys were pathetic, and uh, I finally get to tell you exactly who they were. Not surprisingly, the worst of which was Mr. Billy Turner. The right tackle gave up six pressures in this game. And, and remember, they will if, if it's Aaron Rodgers' fault for holding on to the ball, and they did uh, credit... Yeah, where is he? They did make Aaron Rodgers responsible for a large portion of his pressures, but Aaron Rodgers was pressured 21 times. Six of those, which is almost a third of those pressures, came from Mr. Big Mountain, the right tackle, Billy Turner. Unfortunately, another guy that has really struggled this year that nobody is seeming to want to talk about because we really like the guy, that's Elton Jenkins. He's done a pretty poor job so far through the season, a little bit high here, low there. Um, he graded out as elite as a run blocker, which is nice, but he gave up four pressures, had a 44 overall pass blocking grade, one hurry, two hits, and a sack given up by Elton Jenkins. He got wrecked. Aaron Rodgers, they said, was responsible for four of his 21 pressures. One sack, one hit, and two hurries were Aaron Rodgers' fault for holding onto the ball entirely too long. Jamal Williams was responsible for two pressures, one sack, and one hurry. Robert Tanyan was responsible for one of the hits. Aaron Jones was responsible for a sack. Lucas Patrick was responsible for a hurry. Rick Wagner for one sack. Mercedes Lewis for one hurry. Notice how I didn't say Corey Lindsley or David Bakhtiari's name once. If there's one thing we learned from this day, David Bakhtiari earned himself a lot of money. And if that's not a true statement, I'm going to be really upset. Because the difference between David Bakhtiari and anybody else trying to do that job is massive. The fact of the matter is that defensive line completely wrecked our team, and the two guys looking for contracts were, I mean, I don't want to say perfect, and I, I, I'm i going to just flat-out disagree with their run-blocking grade because Corey Lindsley had a real hard time getting to that next level. Maybe they're just saying it's not his fault. I don't know. But he had no ability to get to that next level. On outside runs, on inside runs, which we should have stuck to all day, it's my, you don't need athleticism to get to the next level, right? You just get to the next level. He did a great job. Um, but anyways, that's kind of beside the point. We're not analyzing that right now. It was a rough day. 
but it's 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 clearly not um, clearly not all on the offensive line. Again, as Aaron Rodgers graded out really really horribly, as did a lot of people. But I'm gonna not go through every single grade and highlight some of the guys that graded out really really well. And actually, Elton Jenkins did grade highly, although I don't want to give him too much credit. Again, it was all his run blocking grade and not his pass blocking. So I'm still gonna say uh, tisk tisk. But Bakhtiari and Corey Lindsley were the other two guys that graded out in the 80s. We also had Darius Shepard in the 70s. Only six snap counts. But uh, kudos to him for grading out well in whatever limited role he had, as well as Lucas Patrick. Some guys that were close, Devontae Adams, obviously he had a little bit of a rough day, but, you know, some of the good slightly outweighed the bad. He was, I mean, it's a low grade for him, and understandably so. I mean, he struggled. That interception was his fault. He should have caught that pass. Uh, Rick Wagner didn't grade out all that terribly. Again, I know everybody hated him because he gave up that one sack. That clearly was his fault, and, and that is one of the things that Coach Hahn looks at in this video is exactly what Rick Wagner did wrong on that play. He clearly struggled, and it, and it also highlights probably why he isn't there very much because the offensive line all was doing something, and Rick Wagner wasn't aware of what he was supposed to do. Again, that just goes to, despite the fact that he's a veteran, he does not understand what Matt LaFleur asks of his offensive line, and that's why he's not there. It's not that he's just a bad offensive lineman. It's that, again, he doesn't understand the scheme, and it's a trust thing. It's not about you can't execute it. It's that when we call a play, you don't know where you're supposed to go. If you knew, you would have done a great job, but you didn't know what to do. Um, The other would be A.J. Dillon. Didn't grade out quite as highly as I thought, but uh, his stats look real good. So, you know, there's that. And then at the bottom, I mentioned Equinemius Jace, uh, Aaron Rodgers, and I'll add in Malik Taylor was the other one that was in the 40s. So those were the bottom. Anybody that I didn't mention was uh, in the 50s or kind of mid to low 60s. So kind of fill it in at your own pace. Uh, Looking specifically at the running backs, again, none of them really graded out all that well. A.J. Dillon was the highest graded of them, 66.6. As runners, both A.J. Dillon and Jamal did very well on a yards per carry basis. Jamal only had four carries but got 34 yards, which is 8.4 yards uh, per carry. Excuse me, 8.5, mostly because of his 25-yard scamper. Uh, 4.75 yards per carry after contact. A.J. Dillon, five carries, 31 yards, 6.2 yards per attempt. So... (laughs) Again, and, and, and look, I really like Matt LaFleur, but this is one of those situations where everybody seems to know the reality except the coaches. And I, I really think they came in with a game plan. They really wanted to stick to it. And everybody watching realized we need to get away from the game plan. Everybody looking at it. As much as maybe the A.J. Dillon stuff was over the top, the fact of the matter is when you had the big boys running up the gut, they did really, really well. But they refused to stop making Aaron Jones go to the outside. Aaron Jones had 10 carries for 15 yards. Math is pretty simple, 1.5 yards per carry. His grades, his stats have plummeted. Any argument you had about Aaron Jones being at the top goes out the window because he just got wrecked, because the game plan didn't work. And rather than just adjust and say, let's do something else, we stuck with it, and we stuck with it, and we stuck with it, and that was stupid. By the way, I want to give a a massive kudos to Aaron Nagler. Um, He asked a question of Matt LaFleur about the defense that was, it's one of those that was, I don't, I don't know what the right term is. I want to say hard hitting, but that sounds lame. But it, it kind of makes you uncomfortable. But I'm really glad he did it because somebody needs to put their feet to the fire. And, and he absolutely did that. And kind of just laid out why in the world, explain to me. And, I, and again, this is what I said yesterday. Or, or, I don't know, maybe I, I don't think I said it on the podcast. I was talking to somebody. But I, I said, I would love to have um, Mike Patton sit down. And just go play by play and say, tell me why in the world this would ever happen. And in a in a in a small way, that's essentially what Aaron did. He said, Explain to me why your defense would do this. And although it was somewhat of a kind of nothing answer, and it's hard to give a full fledged answer because maybe Matt doesn't really know, but it really does there needs to be that amount of pressure on the team to say, No, 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 no. None of this, well, we did our best, or, you know, better luck next time. No, no, no. We have questions. We want answers. And you better be going back there doing the exact same thing to Mike, saying, explain this crap to me. Explain to me why there are multiple times we can go back and see 350-pound linemen dropping into space over and over and over again. Why is Montravius constantly dropping? Why is Kenny Clark dropping into space why do we have linemen dropping into the same zone what in the world could possibly ever be the benefit i understand there was that one time bj raji dropped and he got a pick six and that was hilarious and it's funny but what in the world are we doing again this is a situation where you've got a team like tampa that's playing smash mouth football and the packers are trying to be cute 
I don't want to go back into the same old rant, but the, the, the bottom line is this was a situation where the plan didn't work. They just needed to switch. And if they had switched, I think we had a good chance. But they just refused and they were stubborn. And there needs to be a good amount of introspection. And I genuinely believe if you didn't like Dylan, fine. Stick with Jamal. Four carries, 34 yards. Aaron, A.J. Dillon and Jamal Williams dominated on the ground. Just dominated. But we didn't do it. They got nine total carries. Nine carries for 65 yards is what they combined for. Aaron Jones had 10 for 15, so I don't know. That was the uh, the rushing. Each of them had one avoided tackle. Jamal's longest was 25. A.J. Dillon was 20. Aaron Jones' longest was 7, which is really crazy when you think that of his 15 yards, half of them came on one play. So he was basically, what, nine carries for eight yards outside of that one carry? Wow. Uh, receiving grades, the actual receiving grade itself outside of everything else, Darius Shepard, 70 overall, Devontae, 67. Uh, Equinemius 40, Mercedes Lewis was a 29, so brutal. Everybody else 50s and 60s, but the most yards, Devontae had 61. I just there's, there's nothing here. There was zero receiving touchdown. They actually didn't say Devontae had a drop, so I don't know if they're putting that on Rodgers or what. I don't, I don't know. Although they do have two interceptions here. Both of them are under Devontae Adams, so maybe that's maybe that's just saying when, when targeted. I don't know if they're blaming him if they're just saying that that's when targeted. I'm not sure. But I did see somebody asked how many of his interceptions came on Devontae Adams' targets. Um, I think we can actually look at that. In fact, I can do it right now. Um, in 2020, Aaron Rodgers has two interceptions. Both of them were to Devontae. In 2019, he had six interceptions. Two of those six were to Devontae. 2018, it was zero. 2017, one. 2016 was five. So, I don't know. I mean, do with that narrative what you want. I'm definitely on the train that there needs to be a lot less force-feeding of Devontae Adams. Aaron Rod- See, and the- I'm supposed to be doing PFF, and we got to clean this up here. <sighs> we'll save that for another time, because I, I have no time right now. But that needs to be uh, addressed. Uh, finally, we'll look at the defense. Only one guy on the entire defense graded in the 70s, which is the problem I have with the narrative that the defense wasn't bad. It wasn't their fault. It was the offense's fault. It might have been the offense more than the defense, but the defense wasn't good. One guy, maybe we can call it two, 69.6 or even three, 69.2. Let's just say four guys did well. Preston had a grade of 68. Well, how could he possibly do that? Well, he had a 76 coverage grade and a 72 tackling grade. His pass rush was garbage. His run defense was garbage. So if you're impressed with the fact that he did okay in coverage and tackled well, then there you go. 68 overall grade. Congratulations, Preston, on having your first not terrible game of the season. Jair, again, continued to do quite well. His tackling grade was poor. His overall grade was a 69, meaning he's probably not graded as the top corner in football, although he's still still hanging in there. That wasn't a bad day. 69 overall coverage grade. Four targets, only two receptions for 27 yards. That's not a bad day. Um, second highest grade at 69.6 was Adrian Amos. Again, terrible run defense, horrific tackling. But his coverage was a 72.2. Three targets, only one reception. Unfortunately, that one reception was a touchdown. So, again, this is one of those things where as soon as I saw Amos, I'm like, that's garbage. I remember he gave up that touchdown. But, again, there's a whole body of work. He was out there for 64 snaps. One touchdown is, is just one touchdown. What happened the other 63 times? The only guy that graded out quite well is a guy that keeps kind of showing up, um, which is a good thing, not that it seems to have much of an impact because he's just one guy and he's not super elite. But, hey, still good news, Mr. Kingsley Kiki. Now, his pass rush was was not there. He kind of reverted back to old-school Kingsley Kiki, solid against the run, good tackler, useless pass rusher. But, um, you know, at, at this point, I'll take it. I actually thought the run defense wasn't terrible, especially to start the game. They, they weren't able to run very well at all. It wasn't until this thing kind of got blown wide open and they were tired and they didn't care. But up until that point, I thought they did solid. So if you want to know who led the team, it was Kingsley. Um, and then the, the real problem is when you go break down on a category by category, Kingsley was the only guy that did anything. Um, Darnell Savage did kind of okay as a run defender. Pass rush, nobody graded out well. The highest grade was Will Redmond, who rushed the passer once and got uh, one pressure. He had a 62 overall grade. That was the highest. We had six pressures in this entire game. Uh, one was from Will Redmond. Two of them were from Preston. One was from Zadarius. One of them was from Rashawn. One of them was from Montrevious. And I think the, the worst of this entire group is Zadarius, because Preston 
um, who had the second most opportunities, got to the quarterback twice. Will Redmond only had one opportunity, and he got home. Rashawn Gary only had 10 opportunities and got home one. So even though one isn't impressive, that's still 10%. Montrevious had eight opportunities and got to the quarterback once. Zadarius Smith had 27 opportunities and got to the quarterback once. 27. Zadarius was, I mean, on a percentage basis, outside of the guys that had zero, obviously, of the group that I listed that had pressures, he was the worst. 48 times he was on the field, 27 times he went after the quarterback. He had one hit, one tackle, and that's it. That was his entire stat line. One hit, one tackle, and 48 attempts. I mean, it's it's bad, man. And, 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 and you know, I expected regression. I didn't expect it to be that bad. Um, and I don't think it's it's purely out of regression. I don't think that in every case, 10 times out of 10, Zadarius has to fall this hard. Because Zadarius, I don't think, has ever been this bad. Even before he broke out last year, he was better than this. Well, I guess maybe that's not entirely true. Actually, that started to scare me a little bit. He was he was pretty bad. <laughs> His grades from 2015 to 2017 were 58, 54, and 60. Uh, 69 was his final grade in Baltimore. We picked him up. He had a 90. Right now he's at a 71. So technically this is still his second highest graded season ever and largely because of what he did against Atlanta. So that's horrifying. But again, I still tend to believe that there's more potential in there and there are just deeper issues, um, largely probably having to do with Petten just not doing a good job of finding ways of utilizing the talent as it needs to be utilized. But anyways, i got to leave it at that. Uh, obviously, it was a bad day. There's not going to be a lot of good PFF grades, and why would there be? Um, the highest grade was David Bakhtiari. I'll make that official if I didn't kind of make that clear already, which I didn't. Um, so congrats to the Bakhtiari folks. Two of you four will be uh, getting Iron Jock hoodies, and we will come to that conclusion probably sometime tomorrow. we got to see how it goes. Um, obviously, I've put more on my plate, um, some family stuff that I've committed to, which obviously is the most important, so I have to make sure that that's a thing. Um, I also have a very important phone call with a certain Green Bay Packer player tomorrow, so I'm pretty excited about, or today, so I'm pretty excited about that. But outside of that, my biggest priority, outside of, you know, making sure I eat dinner at some point, is getting these hoodies out. So you are near the top of that list. Anyways, you folks have yourselves a fantastic day. I will talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye-bye.